Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Look, I think the best phrase is simple. It ain't working. The Mark Reardon Show. All of this woke world that we're living in right now is not working. Why are you guys bullying me? Mark Reardon. See, presidents can't do much. I'm done. Do what you want. Pull the plug. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Oh, thank God, Sue's back. Seriously. So the whole mojo got thrown off last week, and I didn't like it. Oh, Abby listen. and Fred will tell you for sure. All is it. right with the world when <laughs> Sue's here. Listen, I think that when any of you leaves, too, it just, uh, it's, it's, we're better together i yeah, hate to well, say that we're, we're in that we're in that period here because we were just kind of running through some of this and i know that i've i've asked fred and abby the same question like three or four times hey when are you guys working so i'm here today and tomorrow and then not back until next tuesday we have monday off as the holiday fred i think is here this week but off all of next week right, oh, fred. right? right. But I'm, that makes me happy because you, you, he doesn't do that very often during Christmas week, and I think that's a great thing. Are your All kids right, going to be around then nice. next week, too? Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Uh, and then Abby's gone. Went, went, we, I don't even know. Ugh, I, I Abby, know when are you, you gone? Part of this week and all of next week. Ugh. Thursday, Friday this week. Yeah. Good for you. I'm trying Good to be you. an adult about the entire thing. Now, listen, Abby took great care. She was house-sitting for me while yeah. we were on vacation and took care of the two dogs. How'd it go, Abby? It went pretty well. I was a little anxious because I'm not a dog person. I'm a cat person. Yes. Uh, but they were possibly the most well-behaved dogs I've ever encountered in my wow, whole life. Wow, look at that, How Sue? about that? That's awesome. And... Abby told me that the dogs are celebrities in they the neighborhood. Are. Oh, now oh that is gosh. 100% accurate. No one cares about me, anybody <laughs> in my house. No one cares about anyone I know except my dogs. Every couple, you know, <laughs> like every morning, a couple people would be like, oh my gosh, it's Oscar. It's Oscar. To be like, yep. Now, did you go Oscar up Did you go up to the park or did you just stay no, on the street? No, I just walked a couple blocks. But isn't the neighborhood, neighborhood awesome? See, that's it my. Is. I lived on the other side of the park. It's a great area, isn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. I was a little anxious about walking dogs by myself, especially at night. Just. Because yeah, I'm I an anxious that. person. Sure. But I really didn't have any troubles. Well, that's no. Steve Butts nice. leaves nearby, too. And you run into you know, him, you'd be yeah. in trouble, I think, for sure. You could sure. just yell Steve and he'd come running. <laughs> uh, I will say, so thank you for taking care of them. Of and course. I, of course, did not go anywhere warm. We went cold. We went to Chicago to stay at the Palmer House because I love how it looks it, the, they have the big tree. It just looks all Christmassy. Is the Palmer House the one from Risky Business, or is that different? Oh, uh, I don't know. Fred, do you know, know that? I don't know. The mm. hotel from, I'd have to think about that. And then we went to Cleveland, which has the world's best art museum. It's an incredible art museum, if you ever go, that I realize I'm speaking to people who are not going to go to Cleveland well, and see the art museum. Mark, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Fred Cleveland. Would go. I went there and saw it. 
I, we stopped in Cleveland just to see the art museum. Wasn't it awesome? It was great. But it's yeah. just did, incredible. did you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, though? No. Well, have and you been to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No. Really? You went to an art museum that over the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Correct. No, that wait, is wait, correct. wait, wait, wait. That doesn't sound like a wise decision <laughs> at all. I think it was. I think it was. Isn't that kind of boring? And, uh, and then, no, it was great. And then uh, we did saw- Did you tape yourself to any of the artwork? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. No. Uh, we did see the Christmas Story House, which is kind of fun to see. Now, right. I had a question about that because you sent a picture, but there yeah. was nobody out in front of that thing. Was it? Yeah, they do tours all day. And then we went at night, a little after, just to see what the schedule was and see if you could go the next day. And I'm not sure I needed to see the inside, but I really wanted to see the outside. And across the street, they've got a, um, a, just an entire store full of stuff from A Christmas huh. Story. And the whole thing is for sale. If you want to buy it, Fred, if you want to run the Christmas story ah, house. Okay. They Wait, even are, have the Bumpus house next door. Are you saying that you could actually go in the house if you go yeah, on a tour? There's oh, a I tour. didn't know that. I didn't you could know that. take a tour of the yeah. house, which is supposed to be exactly like it was. The outside looks exactly like it was. That's where they shot the outside of the, you know, the outside right. shots. And then the gift shop across the street. Then we went to Buffalo and I saw a couple Frank Lloyd Wright houses that I loved. And we went to Niagara Falls and it was rainy and cold. And instead of 35 people on the tour, there were only four of us. How, how well, much good. snow Probably. was in Buffalo? Okay, Buffalo, when you drive through it, you think this is nothing. There's, you know, maybe a little pile here, a little pile there, but it, mostly it was gone. And I said to the docent at the Gray Cliff, Frank Lloyd Wright House, I said, how, you know, we see the a wa- little the snow. Wa- wa- the, the, wa- gray, the Gray Cliff, which is a What's Frank that? Lloyd Wright House. But you I said saw. you said it to the who? I said the, to her. To I said docent. to the docent. Docent. What? That's the part that oh. got me hung up. Okay. What are you talking? What is that? It's somebody. Is who that takes like an you, art curator or something? It's somebody who takes you for a tour around a, uh, a house. Okay. Is that that's a good description? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I've heard that before, but honestly, I don't think I've ever heard that. D o c e n t. Okay. Yeah. So the docent, I said, "What's the deal? We see a little bit of snow." She said, "Well, we did get six foot six worth of snow. Six feet six inches." And that was here, she said. But at my house, like thirty miles away, we only got eight. Well, so that's it was maybe like effect or something like. For because sure. when I lived in Milwaukee, the same thing would happen. I lived near, probably within a half mile of Lake Michigan, and I remember a couple. Well, first of all, I told you one winter there was fifty-three inches only in the month of December. But oh. sometimes that snow just kind of hangs over the lake effect snow, and then if you're out in Waukesha, which is one of the suburbs, or a little bit further out, or again toward Madison, you wouldn't get nearly as much snow. Yeah, so that's what she said, yeah. and that kind of freaked me out. But it was really cool to see Niagara Falls, even though it was nuts at that time. And everything's frozen and kind of iced over, and you see the falls rushing down. It's just crazy. And they take you down in an elevator to go to, the, they call it the Cave of the Winds. And they bring you out, and you're essentially on what somebody's built like a scaffold. Okay, it's probably fancier than that. But you're walking across this, and it's iced over, and you've got icicles, and the water's rushing. It was great. And they I, put me in a Fred, poncho. Fred, you been there? Yeah, the, yeah. I was there when I was a kid, but I just, I really don't remember it. I mean, I have like one image of it because we were out on the East Coast visiting my dad's sister, uh, my aunt and uncle, and then we went up through New York State and went to Niagara Falls and then came through. That was like one of those car rides when you're 
10 years old yes. and you can't wait for it to be over, <laughs> right? Well, in this case, we couldn't go to the Canadian side because you now need a passport and someone has one, me. Someone else does not, Mike. So we had <laughs> to stay a, like on a... the New York side. His is expired oh, okay, and it's right, a whole right. thing. Does he have a real ID? Ugh. Not that no, that, not that, that matters. Started. Okay. So we were on that side and when I was a kid, I was on the Canadian side. It's just interesting to see them both. But it's a, it's really a fun thing to do, even though I think he was probably done after about they, 15 they minutes. I was like, this is great. Hey, and I'm confused. They check your passport at the Canadian border. I mean, yes. We don't do that at the southern border. We just let Hard. people come on over. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it, you have to. Well, that's what I read online, so we didn't. No, risk they it. of course they do. But they, they have rules to. in Canada. We used to have rules too. When I was a kid, they ju- you just drove right across. Yeah, last time 9/11. I went up by Seattle and into Canada, that was you know it was a big four thing. years ago. Yeah, you had to wait in a long line. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So this was all you. you dr- I should know this because I know you talked about it before you left. But this was all driving. This all trip? driving. Yeah, I like a road trip. So okay. Yeah, so there, Cleveland, Buffalo, and then back through Columbus. I'd say you're pretty lucky that you didn't really, you know, I'm going to segue into what we're going to deal with uh, this week because Dave Murray's going to join us at four, but you did not deal with any kind of crazy weather. No, it was even nice. It was Uh. even nice in Chicago. It wasn't windy. About 39. When it's not windy, you're good. Well, speaking of wind, let's talk about Thursday and Friday because we're, uh, I mentioned this the other day, Sue, my my son, I get to see number one son for the first time in like 14 months and he's bringing his girlfriend who we've never met. Well, she's from Texas. She's not used to cold weather. Right, and this is not going to be cold weather. This is going to be frigid, outrageously. Oh so we're gosh. talking about minus four on Friday morning on the gun with forty mile per hour winds. So we're looking at that's got to be twenty five to thirty five mile or twenty five to thirty five oh. below zero with the wind chills. Yeah, right? that's that's ugly, brutal. She and really needs to buy a coat. Well, we it's an easy Christmas present for yes. uh, for us. But <laughs> that's Dave, good. Fred, Dave's going to join us. What at four o'clock? Yeah, four o'clock. Okay, so th- that'll be great. Well, let's get caught up on a little bit from. The weekend, because uh, I will be honest with you. Yesterday morning, my wife, I was running around. I did some errands, and Becky is a big soccer person. And was I going to watch the World Cup? Well, I was going to kind of pay attention a little bit. So we turned it on at 9 o'clock. It's 2 nothing right away, right, basically. And she says, she's the soccer person in the room. She says, well... If you want to turn football on, and at that time there were no NFL games, but there were, you know, it was pregame and I usually watch all this stuff. Well, we both do because we're big NFL fans. So I did turn on football for a little while, but here I am in the house and I'm the non-soccer guy, but it's the World Cup, right? So I turn it back and I'm doing stuff around the kitchen and I look up and this is a true story. I'm going to read this, what I said, if I can find my stupid glasses, because apparently I can't. Here, you want to hear some of mine. Yeah, because I sent... (laughs) I sent Rick, my friend in Vegas, a, a a text that said, Becky tells me it's okay to turn the World Cup off at halftime because it's 2-0, basically admitting it's over. And then I put the I put a SpongeBob emoji that says boring, right? So then I, I look at the TV, and at one point, I mean, it's 2-0. And then I'm like, wait, what? It's tied? <laughs> so that and and I watched the whole thing from there. So I sent her a text. I said, um, and she's out running errands at this time, and she's the one who wants to watch it. I said, this game is tied right now. That as much as I rip on soccer in this, that was a very exciting finish yesterday. It was great. Fred. I loved it. It was the last the last ten minutes. Was the amazing. second half is when they now, came back. 
to yeah, tie it was like it the seventy-seven minute mark is when they scored yeah. on ah. the penalty kick, right? Well, we call that in the soccer world, in the football <laughs> world, we call that the PK. And then they got another one. But even you know the whole obviously when it's tied two-two and they're trying to get that last goal for the win, then it goes into the extra time, and that was intense. So it was. What well, look, you can't have a better finish. It was like when the women won. When did they win in the 90s when it comes down to the PKs? Did somebody score like 90 seconds after scoring? Is that what the big deal was? How did they get to that quickly? Yeah, they, I don't know if it was 90 seconds, but they had a penalty kick that went in, and then they did score within, was it two minutes, Fred? Do you know? It was yeah. like five minutes at least. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was real close in time, like within two minutes. So did you hear the um, the guy from, um, from uh, Argentina? No. What's this guy's name? Andres Contour. Contour. I mean, it, this is probably something that plays better as video because he gets so emotional here. Montiel! Montiel! Goal! Goal! And I mean, were, were tears like streaming down his face Aww. at one point? He was Not super emotional. Crying, heaving, crying. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you, you got to put this into perspective, maybe even more so than what would happen if the Cardinals win a World Series or the Rams win a Super Bowl, because that's the entire flipping country, right? I mean, we yeah. would be going yeah. nuts, so if it was us. We would. We would. There's Especially no the doubt. men's team, because it just doesn't happen. So that was thrilling. There, there's no doubt about it. It was very exciting, and I guess it's Messi that gets his very uh, World happy Cup for Messi. victory, right? Yeah. And that kid, what, the, the kid from France, he's probably going to win another two Mbappe, anyway, right? Yeah, because yeah, he's so young. Right. Uh, so there you go, the World Cup. Up is in the books. Um, keeping on a sports note here, Sue, just briefly Ooh. before we move on. Pack plays uh, tonight, I understand. <laughs> I did something on Saturday that I was trying to think of the math here. I don't think I've done it in 20 years if I if I had. It was definitely when I was in Milwaukee. I played racquetball oh, at the MAC. Oh, oh. How'd it go? It was fantastic. And I um, I still got it a little bit. I mean, the memory yeah. came back. I'm definitely better at racquetball having not played in 20 years than I am at golf. And I play that every flipping yeah, week. That's so there, fair. that says something right there. But here's the problem. Uh, and I've been, as you know, I've, I've actually been working out lifting weights for the last eight weeks with uh-huh. this trainer, with my trainer, Nick. Which is great. And that's going very well. But I apparently discovered that when you don't, use certain muscles in your body for 20 years, you can't move. Because, Sue, I'm not even exaggerating, because of the lateral movement and because of my arms, yesterday I go down to the common ground where I throw the ball for for Duke, I think I threw the ball about 15 yards the first time because I'm like, my arm does not work. It was, but... That kind of speaks to the great workout that it is. I was going to say, you know what that is? It's just good news that you're doing some hard work. That That kind of stuff is a positive. Well, I hate cardio. I really do. I don't like. Uh, that's why I used to ride the bike because I would ride with people. But I don't running and treadmill. Blah, blah, I don't want to do that. Can so this was actually good. I think okay. here's what I discovered, Fred. I don't know if I told you this. So they do this league thing. This is the way it was described to me. Was there's like an A A group, B group, C group, right? Now, it, Mark, who was kind enough to take me the other day, and um, you know. He went easy on me because he's really good, but he said that I would go in the B group. You know who else is in the B group? Who? Chris Kerber. Oh, I Chris love it. Chris Kerber's in the I love so it. So I sent him uh, a text up in Canada and said, dude, racquetball court, you and me, you said I'm in. So I'm looking forward to that. By the way, another topic here. The Blues have strung a couple of yes, victories three. together. And that's a very good thing. And I think they're in action tonight and right. tomorrow night, right? They late, got back to back. in Vancouver. And then tonight. one more before Christmas before they come home. Isn't it two, three games still? Yeah, I think so. Then their first home on the 27th. Uh, and then one more here because this was amazing. So 
when well, there are a couple of things that happened sports-wise. The NFL weekend was crazy. The comeback from the Vikings, did you see that? I did not. 33 to nothing. It was 33 to nothing at the half. It was the biggest NFL comeback back? in history. Biggest NFL comeback in yeah. history. And before that happened, I completely spaced on this. And I did plan on paying attention, but I was playing racquetball at the time. But at 11 o'clock on Saturday, Mizzou tipped with Central Florida. And last week at some point, I did say this to Cusimano. I think I made some very uh, ignorant comment about UCF being a bit of a cupcake. No, no, no. They're a good team. So Mizzou is down with just seconds to go, and this happens. Shot clock down to five. Johnson spins it out for Young. In and out. Final seconds. Hodge moving down. the buzzer and it, that, that doesn't do it justice if you have to watch that video sue because it was I incredible will. the kid is on the floor um and basically shovels it. shovels it to him in the middle of the floor he picks it up from the ground and throws it in it goes in it was a swish Mizzou 35 wins the game. feet 35 yeah. feet wow. very exciting very exciting so that's a that's great win for really Missouri. they awesome. take on illinois in the bragging rights game this week on thursday night so i think that kind of sums up things from the weekend pretty well um, Wait, it had to be more than 35 feet. That doesn't wow. seem like really? enough. It was a doesn't long... I'll, I'll watch it. Yeah. i got to see that. That, that intrigues me. Almost well. half court. Uh, I was going to all Christmas music. That's what we started on Friday, but our system is completely down, so we don't have Christmas music. <laughs> Merry I'm Christmas. Stunned. I'm stunned by yeah. this news. Merry Christmas, yeah. Odyssey, <laughs> St. Louis. But we got a lot to get to. We're off and running here. Hang in there. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Sue, you want to ask your question? You just ask me. I can yeah, did, answer uh, on the air. Did uh, uh, producer emeritus Dave Klein do Sue's news? He didn't because he had the oh, flu last week. Man. The kids were sick, too, so he did not make it in, unfortunately. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah, we had Amy and then Fred, and then Jane did it on Friday. So nice. You were definitely missed. Hey, by the way, when you were gone last week, did you see the, um, the story that kind of went viral? It was all over television. The woman down in Florida who was the police officer who um, OD'd from the fentanyl oh, I accidentally. I did. Okay, there's some questions that, and I'm not saying I don't believe it her. It was in the air, right? Right. Well, yeah, but is that possible? We're going to get, because somebody from Reason Magazine wrote about this on Friday and said, look, that's just not how it happens. So we've got, Fred has hooked me up with Dr. Hmm. Dustin Smith, who is an ER doc with Mercy, and he's got some theories about this and we'll straighten it out in just a second. Right now, Joanne Jacobs is with us. She is a freelance journalist, wrote a piece about climate change being in physical education, which, of course, climate change is in physical education for kids around this country. Duh, that sounds obvious. Joanne, how are you? Welcome to 97.1 FM Talk in St. Louis. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, I I, I write a, a, a blog called 
joannejacobs.com. Of course, you have to spell Joanne correctly. But um, And I saw a story. New Jersey has passed a law requiring climate education to be taught in all classes at all levels. So from kindergarten on, PE, art, math, you know, everything. Everything, right. And uh, teachers are trying to figure out what to do. Um, and uh, so a reporter went and, and had some examples of what teachers are doing. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of dubious about this. I think it, it's very appropriate to look at your science classes and say, are we emphasizing the right things? Are our teachers trained to, to teach, uh, teach well? And what are our priorities? But asking the art teacher to throw in some climate education seems a little nuts to me. Well, it is nuts. That's why it seems nuts, Joanne. So I, I think I think you have a very accurate take here. By the way, it's J-O-A-N-N-E, Joanne Jacobs. Yes. But no, it, and this has been happening, you know, throughout the country. Certainly something I think that's going on in California. We're not going to have stuff like this too much, at least as much here in Missouri. But did you, did you call any information as far as what they would be doing in some of those classes, like even physical education, how that would apply with climate change? Well, they had uh, one example is a teacher who um, developed a lesson where kids are throwing and catching balls. Okay, that's PE, but they're supposed to be carbon dioxide molecules. And, uh, you know, there's nothing, you know, okay, the kids are getting exercise, so that's, that's good. Um, but I think that the kids get a very very shallow understanding of the science if they get any at all. Well, one of the, one of the problems would be and I'm, my ears are pinned right now for my daughter. I have a second grader, seven and a half years old, and you know she tells me things all the time, and I'm kind of wondering how this is going to transform itself or really manifest itself in the years to come when there are some of these things that are going to be planted, you know, the indoctrination. So exactly, what, what, how do you even trust that the information that someone's getting at second grade or whatever, they don't have a comprehension of some of these things. I mean, you could teach about nature and some of the, the things that we want to do. I don't think there's any harm in that. But to start scaring kids about the world ending when there's been a prediction of that for decades and we're, we're still here and we're fine, I think is outrageous. Well, I think you hit on a two two issues, and one is um, the you know the world is ending. Well, how are you going to get kids to study fractions if they think the world is ending? You know, why bother? You'll never need it. The world is ending, and I I, I think that we we need to be very careful about giving kids a negative view of the the world. Um, that that it it's not helpful. Um, they need to be optimistic. And frankly, if we did a really good job of teaching science and math, uh, maybe kids could grow up and make it a better place and solve some of the problems that we... Well, that, you know, that's actually a great suggestion because one of the things that I've always recommended in this debate, I'm not a denier, but I am someone who thinks the climate's changed. How much are we causing it? I don't know. How much can we do about it? That's the part that I'd like to focus on. And boy, we, we have great minds in this country and on this planet for adaptation because I, I think that's the best plan moving forward anyway, is adaptation. We're, we're going to do it. We've always done it. And I'm not saying we don't try to reduce CO2. I think we're doing that. We're certainly leading the way in this country, India, China, not doing their part. But it's, 
the way that this is being taught is more along the lines. And by the way, I think you'll find if you dig deep into the New Jersey schools or some of these others, that they're blending this very effectively, the climate change religion with the anti-racism and that type of indoctrination as well. Well, that actually, they're trying to do it in a anti-racist way. Um, I, I, you know, a lot of these things I just don't think mean much in reality. Um, you have a bunch of teachers who feel overwhelmed by all the problems that got so much worse when schools were closed. That's right. These teachers are really struggling to teach the basics. And then you add on, say, oh, and by the way, you need to do this. And by the way, you need to do that. And the teachers say, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll get to it. Well, that's actually a good question because a lot of this is being hoisted uh, on the teachers just because of the new standards that a school board passes or a state passes, right? Yeah. Well, most, many teachers will say, I don't really understand climate science very well because I'm not a science teacher. <laughs> and and. I can't teach it in a sophisticated, intelligent way unless you give me a ton of training. And whenever they pass these these laws, they always say, oh, yeah, we're going to give the teachers training. Oh, yeah, eventually. And we're going to develop model lessons. Oh, yeah, you know. And it tends to either not happen or not, you know, they don't get good model lessons. Right, right. And, and, um, and. Teachers are very, very worried about uh, the fact that students are struggling with reading, students are struggling with math, and, um, you know, this is like a, a frill, you know. Sure, if we, you know, you point me to a good book on, you know, you know, climate change, oh, well, I can have the kids read that book. But you also want me to have all these books that are about um, – you know, if I have a lot of black students that are about black kids, if I have a lot of Hispanic students, they're about Hispanic kids. So you want me to be culturally relevant and you want me to do, you know, climate and you want me. Yeah. To in the meantime, the, the kids are falling thing. behind in the basics. And, you know, I saw and, this. And, 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 yeah. and you want you want me to teach, you know, kindergartners that they're not really girls and boys. And, you know, it's it's just you can't do everything and you certainly can't do everything well. Um, so I, I think we. We are putting more and more on teachers that's unrealistic. And um, I said, I'm perfectly happy with a real serious look at their the science curriculum. And but because that could be done well. Yeah, let's not you know. broaden it out. The broadening it out is, I think, the issue. But Joanne, I appreciate it. Joanne Jacobs. Is it just joannejacobs.com is where the blog is? That's the blog. And uh, uh, I'd be happy to get some new readers. Yeah. Well, I appreciate coming on here and putting this on our radar. So thank you very much. And you have a great holiday. Thank you, Joanne. Okay. All right. Take care. Happy now, yes, yeah, same, same to you. That, that kind of segues into this Wash U professor that's made some news. Of course, when I say made some news, really only with Fox, Caitlin Reedy Rogier, who is a um, instructor in clinical medicine at Washington University. And these are the clips that are kind of going viral because, again, and I just want to be clear here and go on the record. I, when I have a, uh, a medical issue, if there's something going on in my life or my family's life in particular, my daughter would be a great example. I'm really not that interested in your expertise as a doctor, okay? If you can prescribe something or diagnose, I'm not really interested in that, but I am interested if you're anti-racist. I have a really hard time 
being neutral around issues of systemic oppression, okay? So oftentimes you will know how I feel. I am always willing to engage in dialogue with folks that may disagree with me, always. Uh, and I will not think less of you, nor will I try to fight you or debate you. And in fact, if you try to fight me or debate me, I will shut that down real fast. Doesn't she kind of contradict herself? She just she said just she'd said, be open to wait, it. That's, that was, thank you, Sue, because I've listened to that cut several times today, and I don't really understand because she completely contradicts herself. And so when we are asking you all to engage in this, we're really asking you to think about your own identities and what that means to be anti-racist, which is an active stance um, in medicine that we know has a really bad racism issue. Yeah, so this this kind of is on the heels of that cult-like, you know, deal that happened at the medical school at the University of Minnesota. I'm sure they do it at Wash U, too, where you have to recite all this anti-racist stuff. Because, again, that's secondary, really, than training you to be a great physician, surgeon, or anything like that. We want to make sure that, first and foremost, those skills don't matter, but you're anti-racist. Here's Raymond Arroyo on Fox talking about it. 58 of the top 100 medical schools require this kind of racial uh, 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 training and curriculum. How about bedside manner and caring about the human race? not separating nah. us by race. It's, you're, a, you're a medical professional. Well As any will tell you, they are worried about saving life, any life. The, the outer wrapping should not be a concern. This is insulting, really. It, it's very insulting, but it's the way everything's going. By the way, when I saw them all recite their nonsense at the University of Minnesota, you know that 80% of those students just want their degrees. Right. They just want to move on, but I they hope can't so. get away from the indoctrination in academia, which is, by the way, the main problem in this country, academia. All right, Dave Murray with an update on the winter weather heading our way, how much snow, how cold, all those details coming up after 4 o'clock. We also have Sue back doing Sue's News. Imagine that. We are all full and whole here this afternoon. A little bit later in the show, Mr. Cusimano is going to be here. Sean Spicer in the 5 o'clock hour and an audio cut of the day as well. So on Friday, we um, I, I, this was a story that happened, I think, on Wednesday originally. But there was a piece that was in Reason magazine that said, don't let police media mislead you about fentanyl overexposure overdoses. And the bottom line was the narrative that we're being told from Tavares County and um, Courtney Sullivan, who or I'm sorry, Officer Bannock, who says, and I'm not doubting her, by the way, Courtney Bannock, who appeared to collapse and pass out after encountering um, a small amount, apparently, of fentanyl. But this piece said, wait a second, that's not exactly how it happens, because you'll you'll have um, you have to have more direct you know, contact with with the with the drug and apologize because I'm because of our technical issues here. I'm having to do some things with my audio here that are a little unusual. But here's what Officer Bannock said. I was doing a routine traffic stop, ones that I've done hundreds of times before. Um, I asked normal questions. I always asked to make sure is there anything that's going to hurt me in the vehicle, pick me, poke me, stick me or anything like that if I was to have to go inside. Um, ultimately, I did search the vehicle, which resulted in me being able to search the occupants of it. When searching a passenger, I did locate drugs on their body, um, one being a dollar bill. When opening the dollar bill, I, I partially opened it because I could feel something inside of it. I noticed a white powder substance. I've dealt with fentanyl many times before, so I believe that's what it was. And I wrapped it back up, put it in there, we kind of sealed it away, and 
Mm. Went from there. So one of the detectives down there in Tavares County says dangerous for not only yourself but others around mm. you. Something as simple as, you know, the wind could expose you and just like that your life could end. So the guy who wrote this in Reason said it's just not true um, and added to the pile of many, many examples the police attempted to convince the public that any exposure to fentanyl may be deadly. Now, all I want to know is the truth. <laughs> I don't ha- I'm not taking a stand here one way or the other. And um, Fred has hooked us up here with Dr. Dustin Smith, who is an ER doc with Mercy Health specializing in addiction medication. Dr. Smith, thank you for being patient there in my little intro. And thanks for coming on this afternoon. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for the invite. And I appreciate uh, the conversation being started with uh, the officer's uh, interview and background there. Well, there's no doubt about one thing, that this is an extremely dangerous drug, right? And you, you can be killed if you have contact with it. We should maybe start with that. Yeah, it's, it's extremely potent. Uh, there's no question that for uh, someone who has no tolerance for opioids, um, that a small amount of fentanyl could potentially be deadly for them. So what, what's your, I mean, the guy from Reason writes this as, ah, that's impossible that this happened. I've heard other doctors and then the department down there saying, look, it is possible. You have some theories. So uh, it's hard for me to believe that they're just faking this and making it up. I don't think that that's the scenario. But is the truth somewhere in the middle here, perhaps? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's that gray zone. Um, ultimately, uh, when folks try to say that uh, inhalation or just having this in the air could potentially lead to a lethal overdose, it seems to be a bit of a stretch. Um, I, I thanked you to begin with by, by sharing that interview because I think uh, what the officer shared probably explains the situation. You know, she's going through this traffic stop. She's handling um, items, that dollar bill or other substances that may have fentanyl on it. Um, I know I'm probably not the only one this time of year who has a, a sniffly nose or, or dry cracked lips because of the heat in our house and things like that. So did she inadvertently uh, rub her nose or touch her mouth in a way where a few granules of the substance could have uh, been absorbed and caused her to have this uh, reaction? I think that's certainly possible. I mean, that seems more plausible to me than just, you know, it being in the air, in the uh, environment. Uh, and again, I think you alluded to the fact that I don't think that most of these officers who are, who are doing these public announcements uh, are trying to get people riled up. They're trying to make sure that our general public is aware yes. of how dangerous this is with the hopes that there will be less overdoses. Yeah, and I understand that. That's why I'm not trying to debunk anything. I just thought that that perspective was real uh, interesting, and I, I thought maybe we'd try to get to the bottom of it. And you said you sent Fred some messages, and I thought this was interesting. One of your examples was think of table salt, right? A few granules of fentanyl is similar to a small amount of table salt, right? Right. I mean, if you're thinking about it in that manner, you know, if you spilled a little on the table and you went to either wipe it up or pick it up, uh, and then we're exposed to it in either your oral or nasal surface, um, that that would be enough to be potentially a deadly dose for individuals, again, who have no opioid tolerance. Yeah, and Dr. Smith, you also offered this. I think this is interesting. Maybe I didn't even know this. I don't think I did. Fentanyl is used in the hospital, but at a much lower dose. Explain what it's used for and how these quantities that dealers have and, you know, people that are taking opioids are very different in, in just the amount of the drug. Right, right. You know, it's so important, right, because a, a medication can be uh, helpful if somebody needs it, right? So let's say somebody today is listening and they unfortunately happen to be in a, a car accident and come into the ER as a, a trauma patient. Um, if they're having severe pain, they want pain relief. And that's where we have the pharmaceutical, um, you know, use of fentanyl. But it's at a, a, a fraction of a dose of what we're seeing in these capsules that are being secured on the streets. So, for instance, you'd get a, like a 100 microgram dose, a very small quantity uh, through an IV in the ER if you had a very severe traumatic injury. 
Um, but some of these capsules that we're seeing in the general public have greater than a gram. So 10 times the dose that I feel comfortable safely using when a patient is on a monitor and being observed for not breathing or uh, a drop in their blood pressure that we can sometimes see when somebody is being exposed to these opioids. So when, when the dealers are using the fentanyl with the opioids, though, are, are, are some of the capsules just not mixed properly, or does the fentanyl make the opioids, if someone does have tolerance, more addictive? Because since it is so deadly, uh, I guess maybe that's part of my confusion, that it's around so mm-hmm. much and it's affecting some people but not others because of the tolerance. Is that, is that what I hear? That's You're spot on. Uh, t- tolerance is everything. And on top of it, you know, these individuals are, are not out to make sure um, that everything is done in, in a, a uniform way, right? When we have the FDA creating medications for people, uh, there are strict processes to ensure that if you're getting a blood pressure medicine um, or any other medication that's out there, that you're getting the same dose in every pill that's created. Uh, when these uh, cartels and other drug dealers are creating these tab- tablets or capsules, um, you know, uh, quality uh, controls are, are not their huge issue. Their, their issue is to, to try, to pri- try to provide drugs yeah. um, to, to individuals in the community. Would you say, you know, I'm just trying to think back here. The last two years are such a blur. I remember certainly three years ago uh, focusing quite a bit and maybe even in the early part of the pandemic because we were worried about people, you know, being so isolated. But when it came to or when it comes to the opioid issue with addiction, this I, I I think I know what the answer is, but are things getting any better with that when it comes to the cases that you're seeing, or are we still, there's so many people that are affected by this, so many families, and you just don't hear about it mm-hmm. as much, right? I think we're making headways. Uh, again, that's why I jump at the opportunity like this to speak about it, because the more we speak about it, the more folks uh, feel comfortable uh, sharing what their knowledge is or identifying a concern either that they have with a, a friend or a loved one. Uh, with the hopes that that empathy and guidance can help them to get access to care. Um, that's That really is what it comes down to, is that there's a larger issue than providers, physicians, nurse practitioners um, available to be able to treat it. And so that's where our issue is, is that we still have this bottleneck um, for being able to get access to care. But that's what we're advocating for on a daily basis, is to just make people more aware that this is an issue that can be treated treated well. Um, but folks have to speak up and ask either their physicians or loved ones to guide them. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for kind of clearing up some of those questions. I appreciate you coming on here. You have a great holiday. Uh, same to you. I appreciate you giving me the window of time. The last thing I'll ask is that officer is alive today because she had Narcan available. Yep. And so if you or a loved one is struggling with substance use, I, I would encourage you uh, to secure Narcan um, because time is of the essence in situations like this. All so right, stupid you. question because I've never tried to do that. How, is that something yeah. that's relatively easy to do? It is. You can go to a pharmacy without a prescription and say, hey, I'd like to purchase Narcan. Uh, I want to have it, you know, available in case I encounter somebody who has an issue or, uh, you know, I I have an issue and I'd like to have it. Um, You don't have to have a prescription. It may be covered by insurance if you have a prescription. um, But if you don't feel comfortable going to a pharmacy uh, or asking for a prescription, you can also reach out to multiple substance use treatment clinics here in the St. Louis area or go on to nomodeaths.org. That's nomissourideaths.org. They can help get you access to Narcan for free. So please take the steps if you have those concerns. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Dr. Smith, thank you. Dr. Dustin Smith, who is with Mercy Health, ER doc. Appreciate it.
No problem. All right, Have take care. Day. Sue, I didn't know that. Did you know that? No, Pardon? I right, didn't. There you go. Hopefully we help someone out with, with that this afternoon. All right, coming up here, we do have Sue back for Sue's News in the next hour. Eleanor Bartow will be here from The Federalist because she's going to talk about how, you know, with the Twitter files. There's new stuff here from Mike Schellenberger today, too, the Twitter files part seven. But Eleanor is going to focus on the COVID lockdown stuff. Uh, also, Elon yesterday does a poll saying, hey, should I run Twitter? And then people say nope. 60. No. So I don't even know what that means. Um, Kusumano is coming up. We got Sean Spicer as well in the 5 o'clock hour. And Rick Leventhal. Rick's a guy a lot of people probably would remember him. He was with Fox for a long time. Retired senior Fox News correspondent. Wrote a book about all the things that he did. He was one of the guys that went to the war zones. He went to the hurricanes, the oh, natural okay. disasters, all that. So he wrote a book called Chasing Catastrophe. My 35 years covering wars, hurricanes, terror attacks, and other breaking news. And then we have an audio cut of the day as well. We're leading up to Christmas, and I have to throw a couple more plugs in because Mike Kenny tells me we have a few more spots remaining in our Spain trip, which is April 23rd to the 30th. If you're stuck on that family experience Christmas present, this is it. You can join us with Defined Destinations on a trip to Spain featuring Madrid and Barcelona. Lots of culture, lots of food, a flamenco show. We're going to see um, Madrid for three nights, take a high-speed rail from Madrid to Barcelona. Uh, we're going to see the Sagrada Familia, which is outstandingly interesting and beautiful. We're going to have a lot of fun with a group of people that is um, real interesting and unique as well. So join us. And the pricing is great. It really is because Mike secured some great airfare back in June when we kicked this thing off. Uh, the trip does include daily breakfast, um, wine tasting, tapas tour, and a lot more. So there is some room left, defineddestinations.com, or you can go to the top of my Twitter site, which is um, at Mark Reardon KFTK. All right, so Sue, I'm going to do something here on the air, which I probably shouldn't do just because I'm trying to juggle here. I went with this, um, you know, this goal of having Christmas music, and then our system is not cooperating, so I have to do some of this manually. I'm playing this on the turntable, so it's basically what I'm trying to say. Now, that's fake news, but anyway, here we go. (laughs) Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.